Hello, this is Sophia. And I'm Victoria. And you're listening to It's All History to Me, Auburn's History Radio Hour at 8 a.m. on Thursdays. Each week, we will interview a history professional with the theme of uncovering untold stories. Let's get started. I am in a conventional dither with a conventional star in my eye. And you will know there's a lump in my throat when I speak of that wonderful guy. Hello, and welcome back to It's All History to Me, Weagle 91.1's History Radio Hour at 8 a.m. on Thursdays. We're happy to be back this week because we've got a really special episode because it's homecoming week here at Auburn. Yeah. And we wanted to do a theme uh, for this week. We wanted to special, especially emphasize Auburn history and talk about the wonderful history and traditions that we have here at Auburn. So for our conversation this week, we're being joined by two special members of the Auburn family. Dr. Mark Wilson is the director of the Caroline Marshall Droughton Center for the Arts and Humanities at Pebble Hill. Pebble Hill, also known as the Scott Yarbrough House, is an 1847 antebellum cottage in Auburn, Alabama, listed on the National Register for Historic Places. It currently serves as the home of the Caroline Marshall Droughton Center for the Arts and Humanities in the, co- in the College of the Liberal Arts at Auburn University. We'll talk more about this beautiful building's historical significance throughout the show today. Miss Susan Nunley, known to the Auburn family as the Nun, has been part of the Auburn, Auburn experience ever since her first days on the Plains in 1966 as a health, physical education, and recreation major. After graduating from Auburn a second time with a master's in education in 1972, in 1973 she became the, the second women's basketball coach in Auburn history shortly after the passage of Title IX. Though she would have continued coaching after the 1976 season, the Nun decided to serve the Auburn family in other ways, teaching, running intramurals, and serving the public address, or PA, announcer for women's basketball. Today, the Nun can be found teaching the arts of Art of Sports officiating course in the fall semester and hosting Fun with a Nun at Camp Boar Eagle, Auburn's freshman orientation every summer. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Good morning. Glad to be here. <laughs> we want to start this morning talking about Auburn's history at large. Dr. Wilson, part of the center's mission is to care for and interpret the historic Scott Yarbrough House known as Pebble Hill. What would you say is the most defining moment of Pebble Hill's history? Thanks for the question and thanks for the invitation to be here and we appreciate what you guys do for the Auburn community through this broadcast. Uh, Pebble Hill's a unique historic house in Auburn and I think the defining moment of any historic house is when it was built. Oh, yeah. Uh, so 1847, Auburn was uh, founded as a town in 1836 uh, and so the, the family that built the house, Nathaniel, uh, uh, Joan, uh, Scott, uh, N.J. Scott, Colonel Scott, Mm. uh, built the house. And so the house stands as an artifact of Auburn history. And as soon as you walk in the house, you you notice particular features of the house, including the original pine floors of the house that would have been uh, from trees from the property. Uh, And so the building of the house itself is important. But any historic house, its significance is not just the house itself, but the people who live there. And so our job is to tell the story of the people who lived there, tell the story of the land and the people who lived on the land before the house and before Auburn was built, um, and to tell the story of all the persons who uh, had, a, uh, had a hand in the building of the house and the maintenance of the house. Very cool, very cool, and quite a dynamic history at that. Very cool. All right, so none. you have lived through so many significant moments in Auburn's recent history. In your opinion, what has been the most defining moment in Auburn's history that you have experienced thus far? 
Well, I must say that's really hard to define because (laughs) once you get my age and you've been around as long as I have, there's been a lot of uh, significant things that have happened across campus uh, with the university. Uh, I guess I can speak more directly to what happened with women's athletics. Yeah. Uh, Being someone who grew up in the state of Alabama where girls' uh, athletics was not part of even my growing up years, so to speak, in secondary schools, junior high or high school. You could play recreational, but you couldn't play competitive athletics. So once uh, Title IX was passed, uh, it has made a significant impact on universities as well. Uh, And being frontline during that time and having an opportunity to be on the ground level of that was certainly something that I treasure uh, as as a great memory with now being able to see how far women's athletics has come, not just on our campus, but uh, across the nation. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. That's such, a, such an important moment in our recent history and so cool that you've gotten to experience so much of that firsthand. Very much uh, appreciated, uh, and the good Lord has left me around a long time in order <laughs> to see how much progress has really made. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now with the new... Uh, uh, transfer portal and the NIL, sometimes right. it's a little bit disappointing with what's yeah. happening. Uh, I'm concerned a little bit about amateur athletics on mm. both sides, men's and women's, uh, but we'll see what happens in the next, say, 10 years. Yeah, yeah, definitely another historic turning point in athletics. Correct, yes. <laughs> Dr. Wilson, in your opinion, what draws visitors to Pebble Hill to learn more about Auburn's vast history? I think the uh, when you when you approach the house, you know that you're in a historic site, uh, and you can uh, quickly see that there there must be something inside this house that's worth studying about. At the front porch, uh, two years ago, we added two more plaques, uh, historic plaques, on the right side of the doors. One is stating that this is the ancestral land of the Creek Indians, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's a it's a land acknowledgement. It's unique to Auburn's campus, and it helps people understand uh, the the history of Auburn before there was Auburn. Right. Um, and that history is is long and detailed, and yeah. you can learn about it inside the house. So as soon as you enter the house, and we have twelve, uh, actually thirteen uh, portraits of Creek Indian leaders. Oh, wow. uh, from uh, 1830s uh, and 1820s when they protested a treaty that was giving away this part of land mm. uh, in East Alabama. And so we tell that story. And so you get uh, sort of a, uh, a sense of place when you discover that history and when you understand the folks who were, were here before us. Right. Uh, and one of those portraits is of Patty Carr, who is on the title of the land uh, that Pebble Hill sits on, that Auburn sits on. Uh, and so that history is important as well. The yeah. second plaque that we have uh, is related to uh, and in memory of the enslaved men, women, and children who would have worked at Pebble Hill and would have helped build the house right. in the 1840s. Yeah. And those are founding families of Auburn as well. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. uh, uh, people come in and they discover that history uh, and they get to meet descendants in Auburn who are from those families. And so yeah. that history is really important. Uh, but I think people are interested in history. They want to understand um, how these kinds of places like houses have been preserved and saved and try to understand the unique stories that they come. And they always ask, are there ghost stories? You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, and so sometimes people come looking for a ghost story or two as well, uh, and that's fine. But it's, you know, it, history is an adventure, and so anyone who wants to understand state and local history can get that from a historic house that's being interpreted. Yeah, Absolutely. 
and so so neat how many different stories there are to be told within the house and how many times it's exchanged hands and the history of the land even before it was a house and then none uh so both sophia and i know you uh from your work at camp war eagle and how you introduce the um, Auburn experience to the freshman class every year. So we wanted to know what ins what it was the inspiration for your segment of Camp War Eagle, Fun with a Nun? Well, I tell you, I was just invited to be a part of the original uh, Camp War Eagle, oh, which yeah. was off campus. Oh. Uh, and believe me, I had nothing to do and still do <laughs> not with all of the organization and Mark Armstrong and Melissa and their whole staff is just phenomenal. Mm. But and I think it was 1993, they invited 150 in-state students to come to the orientation. Oh, wow, yeah. And it was at the 4-H camp in Columbiana, which oh. is a beautiful uh, camp campground uh, that hosts all kinds of conferences. I, when I had the cheerleaders, the faculty advisor to the cheerleaders, we went there a couple of times mm. just for our retreat to get away and to spend some time together. Yeah. But we were surprised, or they were much so, as to the response that we got, they had to, you know, stop it because so many students were interested oh, in going. Yeah. They, at that time, it was three days and two nights. Mm. So when they asked me to just be a part of it, the one thing that I did uh, was, so to speak, the tiger auction that we do now. But it was really uh, a tiger relay where they <laughs> had to go get something that was all over uh, campus there at yeah. the 4-H retreat. And uh, it just kind of grew as far as having fun with a nun from right. the relay that we did back in 1993. I kind of adapted it to the programming that they set up, and it just happened to work. The idea of uh, introducing uh, students from all over the state of Alabama and all over the southeast and now United States, right. uh, to me, added a little bit of diversity to let the incoming freshmen know what a diverse group and how to get yeah. to know some of these uh, people. And I just was talking to Mark prior to this that it's important to me for the students to name their hometown mm, yeah. even if it's a small rural town in the state especially the state of Alabama right. take home some of the people that you meet ask invite them to go home to your small town and let them know yeah. what it's like yeah that's awesome very cool and so neat how it's evolved and that you've gotten to be part of every Camp War Eagle from the very beginning. I have been a part of it. Every yeah. <laughs> they invite <laughs> As long as the counselors invite me to join the group and do my fun with a nun, uh, I'm happy to do it. Uh -huh. and, and this year, because of our incoming class being so large, we really had to do two welcome sessions because Foy Ballroom wouldn't hold right. them all for the first oh, wow. you know, oh, wow. session like we've done in the past. But they made it work, and I just show up. You That's know, and do my thing, but they do all the work, and the counselors are phenomenal. Oh, very cool. Great job. <laughs> when did Camp Fort Eagle switch to being on campus, and, like, how did that change what fun would the nun look like? Well, I'll tell you. The reason that happened was the president had come to visit us while we were up at the 4-H camp and decided that this was too good <laughs> for just 150 students. So yeah. this has got to be brought to campus, which there again, Mark and Melissa and all those who planned all that, we brought pretty much all of the programming that we did there to campus. Even the campfire that we did with s'mores and everything oh, else, wow. we, we had that on campus. Had to get all kinds of permission oh, yeah. so that we could do the fire. They built the pit uh, uh facilities did all that and whatever but it was a little bit different not being lake by the lakeside and this <laughs> right. kind of thing on campus but uh, we just felt like uh, and I say we because we certainly agree that every freshman incoming freshman need to experience what it is mainly because of the information and the sharing that the counselors do with yeah. them about 
uh, what Auburn student life is all about and everything they, you know, need to know. Right. Uh, then the parent program became a reality as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so many of the parents, even the Auburn parents, have realized that even though, you know, they live here and their kids grew up here, they really don't know everything they need to know about right. sending their freshmen to Auburn's campus. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. And I just uh, developed my uh, fun with a nun and tried to adapt to whatever needed to be done to, <laughs> to uh, help them most, mostly to feel at home and feel like that uh, Auburn is going to be uh, what they thought it might be. Right, right. Great point, great point. Parents appreciate that, too. Yeah, right. There's a parent. Yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Very cool. Well, let's see. So we've got two halves of the Auburn experience here, the nun who's got all sorts of information about the most recent history at Auburn and so many involvements. And then we have Dr. Wilson, who's part of Pebble Hill, which tells the stories of Auburn as it's progressed and evolved. So I guess for our last question of this segment, um, how would both of you say that your work helps to uncover untold stories, which is the theme of our, our podcast or radio show this season? Well, 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 for let me say this for Mark. Having been here for years and years and more years, I am fortunate enough to watch the progress that has been made uh, through Mark and his efforts at Pebble right. Hill. Uh, and I just shared with him, I've been there for lectures and book signings and things like that. It's such a quaint location, and you learn a little bit about it every time you go. Right. There's wedding receptions and things like that that are there. It's just a beautiful hidden treasure here yeah. in the city of Auburn, and if people have not had a chance to go see it, they need to. So yeah. I'm glad Mark's, he can add more to that. But Thanks it's for just that, and great. we do welcome folks yeah. to come by. Yeah. We're, we're, we're not open as a museum, per se, but right. we love for people to drop by, and the yeah. best experiences are when undergraduates bring their grandparents. Oh, that's uh, cool. Because they're looking for places to go while the grandparents yeah. are in town, and, uh, and grandparents love historic houses. Right. And so we love giving tours, uh, yeah. you know, so just write us or call us. Cool. Uh, one day I got an email, I think it was back in 2013, it was from a uh, gentleman who's about my age, lives in Huntsville, works in the space industry, and he said, uh, Mark, we're having our family reunion uh, this summer in Auburn. He's from Auburn, grew up in Auburn, graduate of Auburn High School, and he said, uh, he said we have a special connection to Pebble Hill. And I said, well, do tell, because we really love it when people tell us they lived in the house, oh, or yeah. they boarded at the house, or yeah. they uh, you know, uh, went to parties at the house, whatever. <laughs> And, uh, and so uh, Terrence Vickerstaff, Dr. Vickerstaff, said uh, the matriarch of our family um, was enslaved by the Scott family. Oh, wow. And they yeah. are the descendants mm-hmm. of the families. And the uniqueness, too, is that he said the patriarch of our family uh, was uh, enslaved by the founding family of Auburn, considered the, the Harper family, right. considered the founding family oh, wow. of Auburn. And so... Uh, one of the documents I brought that we show on tours that I have in front of me is uh, from the probate records from 1865, October the 21st, and it shows, and he was telling me about this document, that after the Civil War, uh, in freedom, Major Harper and Betsy Scott were able to be legally married. Mm. Now, they had been married, and they already had 10 children uh, by that time, but this is their marriage document. And so uh, Terrence and the family had a reunion that summer, came back, uh, had a tour of Pebble Hill for the first time, able mm-hmm. to go through the house. Uh, and so that's a that's an undertold story. Yeah, and in yeah. some ways, it's, an, it's, it's completely an untold story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as we discover more history about the families who are associated with the house, 
um, then we, we always want to, to tell those stories. Yeah. And it has a special, unique um, connection to Auburn students, I think, even as early as 1850 before East Alabama Mail College. Right. Uh, one of the historic documents that we also use is the census that shows there were something like 14 student boarders oh, wow. uh, in 1850 hmm. from South Carolina, from Georgia, from Alabama, who would have been going to the what's basically the high school now. Wow. Uh, and so this house has had a history of boarding students, like a lot of Auburn families, uh, yeah. when you don't have dormitories that right. you, 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 know, you depend on that. And so it's, uh, it's great to discover new stories because there's always more to learn. Yeah. Some mysteries of, of the house and the people who live there we may never uh, you know, find out, but, but that's part of the historical enterprise right. is to keep searching. Uh, and then sometimes the history comes to you. And so it's an yeah. honor to be able to continue to tell those stories and to discover more. Very awesome. And I would think, too, some of those generations, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, are attending Auburn. And some of them may not even realize that they are that generation. Oh, Is that uh, possible? I, yeah. It's, it's quite possible. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's why the you know, continued research and continued documentation and continued student projects on these kinds mm -hmm. of uh, local history topics are so important because they connect to such larger themes of Alabama history and American history. Right. Um, and then when people come to Auburn and they realize they, they discover a unique connection that their family had, a historic yeah. photograph of their grandparents that's in special collections, uh, you know, other other uh, memorabilia, mm -hmm. then that, that, that really is, makes it more meaningful. And that's what history does for us all, is make life more meaningful. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, we're going to take our first ad break, but we'll see you right after. And we're back. So we're going to take this next segment to dig a little deeper into Pebble Hill's long-spanning history. For our listeners who might not be familiar with Pebble Hill, the building itself is about half a mile away from Sanford Hall at the end of East Magnolia Avenue. To briefly summarize the storied history of this building, the land upon it was built was, one, built, was, built, was once entrusted to members of the Creek Nation in a treaty that effectively extinguished the tribal claim to their own land. Then, after, the land was likely forced and forcefully revoked from the Creek people, and the land changed hands numerous times between the many leaders of what would become the town of Auburn and eventually Auburn University. During this time, Pebble Hill was built first as the home of the plantation owners and then eventually evolved into the modern Caroline Marshall Droughton Center for the Arts, Arts and Humanities. Dr. Wilson, is it clear Pebble Hill's history is quite long? It's clear that Pebble Hill's history is quite long and complex, having witnessed all the region's experiences from the Civil War to World War II home front. How do you explain the history of Pebble Hill to the average visitor? Well, it's a great question. It's a big question, though, uh, because yeah. there are so many uh, chapters of the house's history and the people who live there. Right. Um, the earliest record that we have found of the house being called Pebble Hill is from 1912 that uh, was in the Montgomery Advertiser newspaper back when they would put in the, uh, the section about where people were going. So, mm -hmm. uh, in my, so it would say something like, uh, Mrs. So-and-so is going to visit her aunt so-and-so in yeah. Auburn, Alabama at her lovely home known as Pebble Hill. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's the first newspaper reference that we have okay. of the house being named Pebble Hill, which is interesting and coincidental because it's the same year that the Yarbrough family moved into the house, oh. 1912. And so the house is the Scott Yarbrough house, mm -hmm. um, although there were several owners in between the two families, uh, but that was the two main families that uh, lived in the house okay. uh, the, that were connected to the house. And so the Yarbrough family moved in in 1912. Dr. Yarbrough was the town's doctor. You can still find folks in the town who say, oh, he delivered my grandparents, and we paid him wow. in chickens during the Great Depression. Wow. Or something <laughs> like that. 
Uh, and so if, uh, the, they ended up giving the house to the Auburn Heritage Association, which operated it for several years. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, uh, the Heritage Association and Auburn Bank gave it to the university in 1984, and it became the home to the Center for Arts and Humanities the following year in 1985. Yeah. And so there's just many stories uh, that get told, one that's right. quite unique, and y'all have to, to, to raise your hand and stop me whenever you want me to stop talking. <laughs> I'll try to make it a quick story is that uh, because the Arborough family uh, was so connected to the house, this story is quite important, and it's a, it is a World War II story because Byron Yarborough, who grew up in the house, was an Auburn student, graduated agricultural engineering degree, uh, joined the Navy as his father had been in the Navy in World War I. He joined the Navy. Uh, he ends up as first lieutenant on Landing Craft Infantry 449 in the Pacific. He is in charge as first lieutenant of censoring the mail. So he has to redact letters, uh, parts of letters that are, might be giving away positions of where they are. And mm-hmm. so he would just redact, redact, redact. And he's tired of reading love letters because oh, yeah. he doesn't have anyone to write, uh, <laughs> steady to write. And so he mentions that to his sister, who's a student at Auburn, mm-hmm. uh, API then, Alabama Polytechnic. And she mentioned that to her roommate, who mentioned that to her first cousin, because this is the way it works in the South. Right, the right. And a young lady from Cordell, Georgia, starts writing Byron, and Byron starts writing Betty Jones. Uh, and so they write each other, and fortunately it's a love story that uh, they, they would never have a chance to meet in person because he uh, dies in battle two days before the Battle of Iwo Jima oh, wow. aboard ship. Oh. majority of the sailors on the ship were either killed or wounded. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Betty kept every letter that he wrote her. Wow. And all of the letters that came back to her that could not be opened, so that was you know oh. could not be received. Yeah, it took probably, and we have the Western Union document telegram that came to the house to mm-hmm. Pebble Hill to announce to the family uh, that he had been killed in action. Oh wow! That's several weeks later, mm-hmm. and so she's writing him just about every day. And so all the letters that came back to her, she never reopened, placed them on top of the letters that he wrote her put a bow on it, put his obituary on top, and there they stayed in the attic of the family home until her niece found them. Um, And so they are property now. They were given to the state archives in Montgomery. Mm. But we transcribed those and published those as a volume that I have copies for you. But I warn you, it is a very sad story because it doesn't end the way we would love for it to end. But that's part of the human experience as well. And Mm. so there are these uh, stories of service. We have in the house uh, the uh, American flag that was used at his uh, funeral burial Mm. at sea. And we also have the Purple Heart that the oh, family wow. entrusted to us to have on display so that his story could be remembered. And wow. so it's a unique Auburn story. It's an important Auburn story. Yeah. And he is buried in the Pine Hill Cemetery. Oh, wow. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Lots, lots of history that's intertwining in the, in the house. That's so, so cool. Okay. So let's see. Um, another question. Are there any stories that your visitors are especially drawn to? We kind of kind of touched on this or you're talking about how some people really want to hear the ghost stories or their personal connections to the house. But do you have any other uh, examples to share? It's fun when people walk in the house where their eyes go. Oh, uh, yeah. Oftentimes they go to the archway that's kind of unique for this Greek revival cottage mm-hmm. in the hallway. Uh, I think they're, they're, everyone's overtaken by the uh, pine wood floors. And when we have fourth grade field trips, we have <laughs> them uh, kneel down and, and tell us why, what's different about the nails in the floor than the nails at their home. Oh. And they can always tell you that it's, uh, it's a rectangular square nail. Right, uh, okay, wow. So that's a, you know, a feature, so they become little history detectives. <laughs> Some people are drawn to um, the, uh, the one artifact that we have that spent any considerable time in the house is a 
I think it's a 1925 Singer sewing machine. Oh. Um, and Mrs. Yarbrough used that to um, uh, help make a quilt that is at the State Archives in Montgomery that wow. was uh, called a crazy quilt. Um, and we have a picture of it in the house. And so people are drawn to it because of the uniqueness, the artistry. Uh, and then we get to tell the story of her making that quilt over a period of 30 years. And it con- contains uh, fabric from wedding dresses from her family as old as 1841. It oh, contains wow. uh, a, tie, a tie from a border, from a uh, student border from Pensacola, Florida. I don't know oh. why he left his tie there, but he did. <laughs> and it ended up in her quilt. Yeah. Uh, and so people, I think, are interested in uh, whatever personal connection they have to history. Right. Creek Indian portraits, people want to know about those. Uh, they want to know about the architecture of the house. They, the, uh, the young people always want to know about the small closet under the stairs because they think maybe Harry Potter lives in there <laughs> and try to, try to help them with that. Right. Uh, and so there's, there's all sorts of questions that we get, but, uh, but we love the questions uh, about, um, about the, the, the house's existence and the house's story overall. Right, yeah, yeah. That makes sense for sure. You mentioned um, ghost stories in the house. What what are those? <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, all right. So uh, there are there are no active ghosts that we know about. <laughs> I do have a friend who worked at the World War One Museum in Kansas City, and then when I took her on a tour, um, she said, "Mark, maybe there might be because they have a lot of ghosts in their oh. archives, evidently." Mm. Um, and so we do have a sage kit on hand uh, <laughs> if I can find it in emergency situations. We have it. Uh, and so, you know, some, some folks come in and, um, you know, they, they do ask and they do want to know. Uh, the, the best ghost story, I think, is the, is the fact that, um, and Susan, you may remember this, Auburn High School ran the house before it was a part of the university. I'm not sure exactly what year, but the mayor of Auburn told me when he came to, the, to Pebble Hill uh, not too long ago, he said, Mark, this, when I was in high school, this was the scariest haunted house ever <laughs> because the Naval ROTC unit at the high school ran it, and oh, it was wow. just, they were, they terrified everybody who came <laughs> through there. That's so funny. I'm not sure if that was a real ghost story or if it was uh, just high school students uh, right. playing pranks on others, but uh, but it has it has that, that feel. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's really, really no, uh, uh, no active ghosts that we are aware of. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, so you mentioned that you brought some documents with you and that you've had this cool uh, interweaving of different uh, sources coming to you, a quilt, a sewing machine. Um, So how have you been able to find these resources to tell Pebble Hill's story and piece it together? And has it been like especially difficult during this process or have you felt like you've gotten lucky and lots of the sources have just come to you? Well, we made a good decision several years ago. The center uh, hired Dr. Lynn Causey, uh, who now works for the Alabama Historical Commission, to do um, a, a chain of title search and also other research related to Pebbles Hill his, oh. history. And so mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the documents came from there. There are always mysteries uh, and things that we wish we could find, and we may find right. one day. You never know. And so yeah. you always have to, to keep actively searching. Uh, the, the things I brought would include the marriage certificate of Major Harper and Betsy Scott that I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, this fabulous um, 1850 census that shows the student boarders uh, who were there in the house. Um, and then also, because African American history and the history of enslavement is important for us to, to understand and remember, 
uh, two documents that are important for our interpretation are the 1850 and 1860 slave census. Mm -hmm. So you have in a slave census, you have uh, the owner's name, and then you have uh, categories of uh, which would include like number of slaves, age, sex, color, whether they were manumitted from the state or fugitive, uh, fugitive mm -hmm. uh, from the state number of slave houses, et cetera. But what you don't have uh, in a slave census, which I think illustrates uh, the horrific institution of uh, slavery in the South and in the United States is that you don't have names. Right. And so yeah. you have ages. And so for African-American researchers, uh, it's, a, it's a different enterprise to understand your family history. And so you have to have additional documents to be able to find those. But ages are important. Um, and we hired a graduate student uh, to do some of that early history uh, to, to find out. Because all these founders of Auburn came from Harris County, Georgia. Oh, yeah. Oh. And so as soon as land was uh, able to be purchased um, after Creek Indian removal, uh, then uh, they came, but they didn't come along. Crossed the Chattahoochee with all their belongings, um, including uh, the enslaved persons who would have helped uh, build the town. And so uh, those documents, I think, are, are they're horrific in a, in a sense, but they're also important because they testify to the resilience of the human spirit right. um, and those families' descendants um, uh, are really consider Auburn home and uh, a place that they've helped contribute to over time as yeah, well. Absolutely, absolutely. And I like how you always uh, connect everything to having that like human element to it and that like all the history of Pebble Hill really is helping people connect to history in like a personal way. So very cool. Yeah, and I volunteered at the State Archives over the summer and what I did a lot of was transcribing Supreme Court documents. And so there were a lot of Names there, it was a lot of the enslaved people's names were in that, and something that, like, that's the only time that you really see their names for a lot of these people, mm -hmm. and people use them to, like, trace back family lineage, and it was really wonderful to be a part of that work. Um, and bless you for doing that, because yeah. transcribing is no easy task. Yeah, <laughs> you know, for college students to do that is a great, uh, a great project, because you are making those documents available to more and more people. Yes. Yeah. All right, we're going to take another ad break, but we'll see you in two minutes. We're going to move into the more recent history of Auburn University with the Nun. As it was clear through your introduction, Nun, you have been a part of the Auburn family for quite some time, meaning you have had the opportunity to impact many Auburn experiences throughout your time on the Plains. Before we get to some trivia, we wanted to start our conversation with you highlighting some of the historic Auburn moments you have been a part of. You had just learned your ma earned your master's in education when Title IX became law, changing the world of sports in the United States forever. What do you remember about these early moments in, of women's sports at Auburn? Well, I can assure you it was a major step for uh, women in sports across the nation. We were very fortunate at Auburn to have an athletic director, Lee Haley, who worked so closely with Sandra Bridges Newkirk, who was at that time our acting, so to speak, uh, women's athletic mm -hmm. director. Uh, we had an organization known as uh, AIW, which was a national comparable for women for NCAA, but it was not till much later on uh, that the NCAA technically took over mm. the organization and administration, so to speak, of all of women's athletics, uh, of member schools that were members of the NCAA. Uh, Coach Haley was very open uh, to talking with uh, Dr. Jane Moore and Dr. Fitzpatrick and, and Ms. Newkirk uh, about what we needed to do 
to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very patient, unlike some athletic directors who really fought it oh. to the in the beginning at well, some yeah. schools. And I felt like that we really set the standard for other schools to see that it could work. Yeah. Being a physical education major, then working in recreation with intramurals, and then coaching, I understood the importance of those three areas working well together. Absolutely. And yeah. I think with shared facilities and time and, and this kind of thing, doc, uh, Coach Haley made a big difference in working uh, with all of us to make that happen. Uh, then to have that opportunity uh, to be able to coach and, and to be a, a early part of what took place was certainly uh, a learning experience. And I felt like other, especially Southeastern Conference schools, looked to us as saying, well, you know, Auburn's making this work over there. What can we do? They talked to us, and we shared with them uh, what we did and how we made it happen. And I think I'm very proud to say that I think a lot of schools uh, within their uh, athletic department uh, looked to us for some guidelines to make it happen for them. So I'm most proud of that, I think that uh, we made it happen with people working together, uh, and it happened. Uh, of course, now is so many things that are different from when we first right. uh, started uh, coaching. When I coached, you know, the, the my athletes bought their own shoes, and we drove our own cars, and uh, those kind of things that people, right. uh, student athletes now, can't seem to relate to. Oh, yeah. But it's interesting, too, that they want to know uh, uh, how it was before. And most of our coaches share that with them, I think, because the coaches that are older, for sure, and even maybe they were part of that beginning oh, yeah. uh, that made it happen. So they share that history uh, with them. Yeah. Uh, I was just thinking uh, yesterday was the ODK cake race that uh, has been a, a cake race and a tradition of homecoming week for years and years and years. I was a part of that for so long with Coach Mill Rosen, uh, and uh, we did that for so long. And when I was a student, uh, it was the first time, really, that girls started participating in mm. the in the uh, uh, ODK cake race. And now, you know, it's open to everybody, and everybody participates. And that's just a sideline to what happened years ago that made it obvious that girls could participate, women could, right. could participate just like the men. Yeah. So that still remains probably the most significant thing that I dealt with with uh, athletics. Yeah. And that's so awesome to learn that Auburn got to be such a important part of that and that they kind of set the standard in a lot of ways, which is really a point of pride. That's absolutely, awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Something that, that we, uh, all of us that uh, were a part of that and got to see it happen, uh, such a learning experience and, and something to be proud of, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So currently you serve as the public address or the PA announcer for Auburn women's basketball team. What is the experience like getting to be such an important part of that game day experience for well, fans? And I don't players? know how important it is, but <laughs> I do enjoy it. Uh, when I uh, gave up, uh, because I wanted to go back to teaching, teaching was still my first love, which part of you cannot be a good coach unless you're a good teacher. Mm-hmm. I've always bragged on Joe Champy uh, and all of our coaches because I felt like our coaches are outstanding teachers if you can't teach you can't coach oh, yeah. uh, and when I gave up my uh, coachings uh, to go back mainly uh, to teaching uh, uh, I've they asked me would I be interested in doing the public address announcement because yeah. when I coached we really had whoever was available oh. <laughs> that can maybe do the the PA for and sometimes maybe there wasn't even one and oh, that yeah. was oh. when, when we were even traveling to yeah. other schools uh, but uh 
uh, I started in what was that? That would have been the 76-77 uh, season. I coached for three seasons. And then I became the uh, PA announcer. And I've you can do the math. I've been doing it ever since. I also had the <laughs> opportunity to do the SEC Women's Basketball Tournament for almost 40 years. Uh, when we hosted NCAA regionals, I was uh, fortunate enough, obviously, to be able to do that. I've done the Sunbelt uh, women's basketball tournament and the Big 12. So I've had a little bit of experience going around that has been really, really fun. Yeah. Uh, and I still enjoy that and will continue maybe to do that as long as I can understand, you know, uh, with my chemo brain and my senior oh, no. moments, I oh. say. Uh, sometimes, uh, and my, you mentioned my teaching of my class. I tell my students in my class that if the nun can't remember how to finish a sentence because of, you know, uh, chemo brain and senior moment. Oh. Somebody in the class just finish the sentence and we'll go on. <laughs> oh. uh, uh, thank the good Lord I uh, uh, am a cancer survivor and am doing well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, it's kind of still fun with the nun. Yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. Definitely grateful yeah. for that. Very cool. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. So I have a, another question for you. Usually we're back and forth, but we've got to make sure this one fits in. So as an undergraduate at Auburn University, you also had the opportunity to be a member of the Auburn University Marching Band and the Basketball Pep Band. I am also a member of the Auburn University Marching Band. So I have to ask, how has the band changed and evolved since your time? Well, I'll tell you the way that worked. Uh, I lived in Alumni Hall, which is now Ingram Hall on College oh, yeah. Street. The band room was in Hargis Hall, which is just across the street. Okay. Uh, my freshman year in 1966. Dr. Bodie Hinton was yeah. band director at that time. It was great just having to walk across the street to, to the band hall and then just walking down to Petrie Hall. Right behind Petrie Hall was where the band practice field was. Oh, yeah. So everything was so convenient. Well, lucky for us freshmen that lived in Alumni Hall and Auburn Hall in the spring of 1966, they opened the six-story dorms up on the hill, oh, which is where yeah. we then moved to up on the hill. Right. Alumni Hall, we had a, a dining room downstairs. We had washer and dryer downstairs. It was the best. Now, all of a sudden, we are all the way across campus <laughs> for Hargis Hall and for Petrie. Uh, right. behind Petrie for our practice field, but it was great, yeah. uh, and Bodie was, was such a delight. The pep band, uh, we would walk up the stairs, because it was on the top floor, the band room was at Hargis Hall. Bodie would post a list on the bulletin board for anybody who would like to be in the pep oh, band yeah. at the basketball games. Yeah. So obviously was, there was no women's games at that time, so it was the men's games. So anybody that wanted to do it just signed up. Oh, yeah. And so we went to the game and did the thing. Wow. You know? And now, of course, there's uh, <laughs> an A band and a B band or however, you know, men's band, women's, you know, and it yeah. switches with both of them, which is great. Right. Uh, and uh, Corey and Nikki, let's the nun, uh, lead Sweet Emma every now and then at basketball games because that was a big thing back when Greg Byrne was here with the pep band. Uh, they put in, uh, I think it's one of Johnny Vinson's arrangements that we play with Sweet Emma, uh, and I loved that when we when we played it when I was in the band, and now they've put it back in and we play it, and the nun gets to direct that, and I do it even at the SEC tournament. Yeah. They would call me over. So uh, I'm a little prejudiced toward the pep band and the <laughs> band, obviously. Uh, I can also remember marching on the uh, first artificial turf in the oh, SEC, yeah. which was at Tennessee. Wow. Which, when you marched, you might sink two or three inches because oh. it was hot, oh, it was, and it was black. It was, you know, early experimentation on artificial turf. Oh, yeah. That uh, was not so good, but but uh, <laughs> I had that experience in the band as well. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I know the band uh, and all of our organizations on campus are a great 
way to meet people, to develop that camaraderie, yeah. uh, to last a lifetime. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, that's that's so neat to get to hear the the history of the band too, and the way that that's evolved and uh, grown, and the all the all the things. So very cool. We're going to do our last ad break uh, before we do our wrap-up thoughts. We'll see you in two minutes. And we're back. If you're just joining us, we're about to finish and wrap up um, with our trivia-based questions. So are you guys ready? Let's do it. <laughs> our first question is, how many different names has Auburn University been known by? can take that one that would be four. Oh yeah yes yeah. east alabama mail college uh alabama agricultural and mechanical alabama polytechnic institute and auburn university and by the way there's a fabulous historic marker behind sanford hall oh, yeah. uh, that talks about auburn becoming the first land-grant university mm, right right yes yes and i was interested to find when we were looking for the answer for this question that it wasn't Auburn University until 1960. I feel like I, I easily forget that that was like pretty recent. So cool. Thank you. Those of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that yeah. is pretty, pretty recent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. Okay. And our second trivia question is how many different undergraduate majors does Auburn offer and how many colleges make up the university? I think more than I can imagine. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. A lot. Yeah. A lot. I am proud to say that the, uh, obviously when I was in the School of Education, uh, now we're getting a new facility in terms of the College right. of Education. My office is in the School of Kinesiology, oh, yeah. which is a big word like mayonnaise, because <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure I can even spell it, but uh, the School of Kinesiology has come so far. I've been uh, part of uh, physical education, recreation, health, physical education, and recreation back when I was a major. Yeah. I've seen it evolve and move on, and then Dr. Rudelsel has done such a marvelous job at, with that department, and now we're adding uh, physical therapy in the fall oh, yeah. of 20. Wow. to go along with the School of Nursing and VCOM. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very glad that the good Lord has seen fit for me to stay around and see all this. And yeah. the College of Education is up on the hill where some of the dorms were right. where some of the dorms were. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So the answer we found is that Auburn University offers more than 150 wow. different undergraduate majors, which is just so impressive. And really, that was really cool to uh find. I, I had no idea. I was definitely not guessing it was going to be And the best high. thing about that, I think we have outstanding faculty Absolutely. that teach every one of them. Yeah, I completely outstanding agree. Outstanding faculty. I agree. Yes. And in all, there are 12 different colleges that make up the Greater Auburn University. So everyone working together to make one, one big unit and definitely amazing, provide one amazing Auburn experience for every student. So Absolutely. And I hope students get a chance to get to know their college. I yeah. think all the deans appreciate uh, visits from students and opportunities to meet students, and there are plenty of ways students can get involved with their college because yeah. when you have that, that connection, uh, oftentimes that's what helps you stay connected to the university yeah. after you graduate. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. So we always end our hour with two important questions that connect the listeners back to the study of history. However, for this week, since it is homecoming at Auburn University, we thought it would we would broaden the questions and connect them to the unique Auburn experience. So our first wrap-up question is, why is it important that we study the history of Auburn University? Wow, that's, that's it's a big question. It's a yeah. great question. I think... Um, I think it's important to study the history of the place you are in because you can find your own personal connection to that history. 
uh, and it's it's just interesting. And I think the the more curious we are as humans about uh, the people who came before us, uh, warts and all, and and the the history of the buildings, history of the streets, the history of everything that's around us, that it just makes life more meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. That's. A I great think point. it established those memories too. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. That you can't really find anywhere else unless right. you really look for it and you experience it because the spirit of Auburn is just something that yeah. you feel. Uh, yeah. You need to search for it, so you will. You know, always be a part of you, yeah. and I think it will. Yeah. It's just automatic. That's a great point too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and our last question for this episode: What advice do you have for former, current, and/or future students at Auburn University? Well, I think the most important thing to do when you're at Auburn is to be a part of everything that you possibly can be a part of. From your no, getting to know your roommate, getting to know your professors and teachers and your class uh, mates that are everywhere so that, so that you can learn more about who they are, what they do, what they've been, uh, what they're going to be. I know that I feel like there are students that I entered Auburn with as freshmen that I've stayed in contact with. I might not have seen them, but I could pick up the phone and call them at any yeah. time, and it would be like yesterday. Yeah. So I think that personal touch that you have with people uh, because of our diversity and our inclusion on campus makes such a big difference with every single student. But you have to make it happen. Mm. You can't just exist. You know, reach out and, and meet people, uh, get to know them, share with them, uh, and make it you know, the best experience of your life. Yeah. Uh, it's something that will last forever. Absolutely. I think absolutely. you two are illustrating that really well. <laughs> absolutely. Uh-huh. You are absolutely. Not, not paid. It's not the, the hour that most students are up doing volunteer work. <laughs> and uh, here you are, uh, uh, significant planning. You've been so professional, and you're quite uh-huh. good at it. Well, thank and you. So, thank you. Uh, other students need to get involved in things like this and let you be their mentors. Uh-huh. Uh, because you, unfortunately, with students, uh, and that's why we love working with students, but we don't like working with students because you all graduate. Right, and, right. Uh, and then we have to, to find more. And so. So if y'all are mentoring the next generation yeah. uh, in this booth and then elsewhere, I think that'll that'll help everyone. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you both so thank much. You. And thank you both for being here today. It definitely means a lot and a great way to celebrate Homecoming Week to hear so much about Auburn's history from two Auburn icons. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we also want to thank the History Department as well as Dr. Schultz for their support of our work in the History Club, but also with this radio hour, as well as thanking the College of Liberal Arts for their support as well. We want to thank our researcher, Colby, who helps us write these questions. We couldn't do this without you. We also want to thank Weagle for letting us use our, their airtime and their support as we continue to work on this podcast. And, of course, we always want to thank our listeners. We couldn't do this without you guys. Um, with that being said, we'll see you next week. And War Eagle. War Eagle. War Eagle. <laughs>